Welcome to Daily Kofefi on Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Laren. Today is June 11th, Tuesday, June 11th. Uh, yes, I was looking it up as I was saying that because I was clueless of the date. But I don't have, unlike Carrie, who's my co-host here, uh, I don't have a paper calendar. I have <laughs> the 22nd century, no, 21st century. And uh, the 22nd century, I'll just intuitively know, or we'll all be living in caves. Good morning, Carrie. Good morning, Carter. You don't, you don't know how joyful it is to have a big paper calendar. I'm going to have to get you one. <laughs> We're all going to be living in caves in the 22nd. I don't right, know yeah, why you're right. 22nd century. I wanted to say 21st century, and I, and I just felt like, no, I must be old and I've missed something. It must be a, we must yeah. be a century later. There must be a century of this. It's not a century later. You're just old. Um, <laughs> yeah, good morning, everyone. I Oh, Carrie. Yesterday, so here's the, I wore, I wore this after the show yesterday around the house. That's this, great. This is our, our shirt, one of our shirts. Um, they run a little small, comfy shirt runs a little small. So just be aware. Cause I know everyone's going to rush out and buy shirts now. At, I got to I'll post that link today. Yeah. Yes. Just, you can just go to unsafespace.com. There's a shop button. Click it. So. Carrie, what do you, well, I, we were talking about what to talk about and you pay attention to California more than I do, even though I live here, apparently. <laughs> Why don't you tell people what the hell has been happening in Sacramento that I've not been paying attention to? Uh, this just on its face seems ridiculous to me. Um, I just saw the news that Gavin Newsom, which I still forget that you guys voted him in. <laughs> God, I mean, I tried to block out that he was mayor of San Francisco when I lived in the city. Uh, <laughs> yes, and then we voted him into Sacramento, and now he's running our state. And by the way, the reason to pay attention to California, I think people know this, but, you know, we tend to signal where the country's going, usually for the worse. Yeah, um, well, you guys just passed this thing that he's he's uh, signing into law. Um. Wait, what is it? Oh, they reached a okay. They reached a final draft of your state's 2020 budget on Sunday. It's going to expand healthcare to illegal immigrants, and it'll cost taxpayers around a hundred million dollars to do that. Um, as part of a hundred million, yeah. So it's going to be available to low-income illegal immigrants under the age of 26. They'll be eligible now for California's Medicaid. They think this will pro this will add approximately 90,000 new people to the. Um, to the price tag, which is around a hundred million dollars. And to raise that money, they're going to do something similar to Obamacare. They're going to begin taxing residents who don't have health insurance in order to help ease the program's financial burden. So they're creating an individual mandate penalty. So if, if you essentially, this is what this says to me in my head, if you can't afford health insurance, we're going to charge you a fee because the, and, and, Presumably, all the people I know who didn't who didn't have health insurance and who chose to pay the fee for Obamacare is because they couldn't afford insurance. And even if they were paying a thousand dollar fee a year, that was less than paying for insurance. So we're going to charge you a grand, let's say, per year, so that we can take that thousand dollars and use it to buy health insurance for illegal for non citizens for illegal immigrants. Backwards, right? Welcome to California. So let's uh, just a couple things. I don't. I don't even. I wasn't paying attention to this, obviously. And God, I need to leave this state. But uh, first of all, I just want to 
clarify something. This is leftist math because leftists are morons and don't know that humans ha in response to incentives. They just they fail to understand that humans respond to incentives, which is odd because they're also central planners and they think they're so smart they can plan everything, uh, but they don't understand the first thing about how human beings work, which is just so bizarre to me. But uh, when you start giving away free healthcare to more illegal immigrants, guess what you get more of? <laughs> healthcare? No kidding. <laughs> illegal. No, you get more illegal immigrants, right? So. Uh, so yeah, this will go up over time and, you know, I, this healthcare is a right. I mean, so first of all, look, I live in the Bay area. If you're not a Facebook millionaire or whatever, like if you're not involved in one of these tech companies and you've made a, a lot of money are making a lot, a lot of money. And there, there are a lot of people here in the Bay Area who have made a lot of money, right? Even like if you have a bank account that's got a couple million dollars in it in the Bay Area, you're not like, you're like middle class in your community. Like there's not, there's, there's not a lot of- That's crazy. It's, it's, yeah, there's a lot of wealth here. However, I'll say middle class, but whatever. You feel like people feel middle class. Average people at work at tech companies have way more disposable income than, than people in the rest of the country would imagine they have. Well, I won't say disposable. They have way more income than the rest of the people in the country could imagine. But first of all, the cost of living is huge um, because that all drives up. It drives up housing prices. It drives up the cost of everything. But... There's a lot of people who are regular people who work at In-N-Out or work at Target or, you know, have regular jobs like blue collar people or even white collar people with kind of regular jobs that aren't techie. I guess white collar maybe gets paid more, but it's really fucking hard to live in the Bay Area if you're not wealthy, if you're not one of these, you know, if you're not a making a shit ton of money from your Facebook stock, it's hard to live in the Bay Area, really hard. And so the average kind of what you think of as the, the typical average American, like your kind of your mechanic who's sporting a family or whatever, like the, the typical guy that you think of or, or woman, it's a nightmare. It is hellacious for them to live here. It's really hard. They struggle their ass off. And a lot of those people have dignity enough that they don't want to run to California and use California's Medicaid or any of their, you know, financial assistance programs. They're trying to make it on their own because they feel like they should because they've got a job. And frankly, they should be able to make it on their own and pay for their own stuff. Like in a free market, they would be fine. But, you know, California is, it's already, they've already had this problem with, uh, and there's been articles about this over the last several years about regular people not even being able to afford to be in the Bay Area. And of course, you know, the people that are writing the articles, it's only a problem for them because they can't like, who will mow my lawn? And how am I going to get my maid? My maids can't afford to live here. <laughs> like, like <laughs> that's, that's the big problem. Like, hey, who's going to be at the checkout at Whole Foods? Um, but it is a problem already. And this just compounds it. And the, the 
the reason that this is what they want to do, I don't think, I mean, yes, it has to do with healthcare. It also has to do with, they want everyone to have a relationship with the government, right? So if you say, well, I can't afford healthcare, how am I going to afford this fee? Their answer will be, oh, well, if you can't afford healthcare, you should be on our special Medicaid California thing. You should be on government healthcare. Come to Papa. You should be part of the state's apparatus. They want to capture as many people as possible as a part of the state's apparatus. And the best thing to do that is to start mandating people pay for things and just start making those more draconian, making the punishments more draconian. And you, you filter more and more people start coming in. They get forced to get into the system. And once you're in the system, you're kind of stuck. So, you know, this California is, people joke about People's Republic of California. It is socialist. It's a socialist hellhole. It's a piece of shit state. And I hope it secedes. If it secedes, I'll, I, I'll definitely leave. I've got some personal things tying me here, but if it secedes, I'm out. So and you support, you support California seceding? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, interesting. Cause I you know saw how good this would be for the rest of the country. If for California to secede, it would be I awful. I never thought of it that way. So after the election, I saw some of my, like I went in one direction trying to figure out why Trump won. And some of my other friends just went in the other direction and completely doubled down and became even more woke SJWs. And some of those started advocate, some of those who live in California and are super SJWs started advocating for California to secede. And I was like, no, like that's, we don't want civil war. We don't want disunion. I'm tired of this. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of it. I think there's a lot of people who are just like, can you just fight openly so I can shoot back? I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, it's tiresome. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's the funny way of putting it. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm, I, yeah. The SJWs and I agree. California should secede. Oh, yeah. you agree. You agree with SJWs. That's interesting. Yeah. And people like me, I'll just leave. And all of the woke people from Seattle can run to California or whatever, and it'll be great. And they can build their socialist utopia. And actually it will go well for them for a little while because there's a lot of wealth in California. So they'll, they'll have borrowed time they can live on for a while. They got, it's like a trust fund baby. California is like, the state is like a big trust fund baby, right? The state, the state is bloated and it's got a shitty lifestyle and spends too much money. But mom and dad, i.e. the tech industry, uh, mom and dad just keep signing checks, but eventually that'll run out and, uh, they'll, they'll crash the Ferrari and something will change. So, well, and let's be clear for people who don't, I guess, maybe who don't understand. Um, see when I, when you're in the left, left bubble, like I was in completely leftist, you don't really understand why anybody would be against Obamacare because, because you're only hearing the positive parts of it. That's all that your echo chamber is focusing on. Um, and there were some, one of the positive parts of it, and you may disagree with me on this because I'm sure there's unseen costs that are costs that I haven't considered. But um, for friends of mine with pre-existing conditions, it was a blessing because. Oh my people- God, really? That you think is good? Holy shit. That's one of the biggest <laughs> unseen costs ever. You've got to be fucking kidding me. Okay, explain. Do you not know how actuarial tables work? No, I don't. 
Do you not know how insurance works? So is it because you've added all these people who are not un- who who are not healthy that now every all the prices go up, right? Is of course. It? Okay. Of well, course. I guess I do understand it. I just I still like the idea of li- li- you people like the idea of their friend. This is a personal thing. Well, this goes look. This goes back to this whole thing about like one story is is more is greater than ten thousand facts. Like the the book I just finished reading, uh, Love Your Enemies. He's talking about so this. I, everybody knows a friend with a pre-existing condition who didn't have health insurance before. Sure, but it's a mark of intelligence to be able to construct concrete narratives in your head from data. And if you can't do that, you shouldn't vote. Touche. <laughs> I mean, I don't know people who are affected by this plan to know and imagine in my head the thousands and thousands of people who are gonna to struggle to pay their bills and, ha- and have real life economic and like well can you put that into a story sure i can put that in the story i guess i'm not a great storyteller but my point is is the issue okay wait wait let me interrupt one second i want to cut you off right there because that sentence but as i was brushing my teeth this morning i was thinking the left have great storytellers right and that's i mean clearly because if you're liberal you're more likely to be open on the openness scale you're more likely to be cre- creative and all and so you know yeah leftists typically entertainment like writers artists they, they also, like they also tend to uh, indulge their emotions more and stories are emotional yeah stories are emotional so um i think for there to be balance and i'm a person who's interested in balance because i am even though i'm a liberal and i'm a classical liberal i'm i'm not a leftist anymore and i'm starting to realize a lot of leftist policies are rooted only in good intention, but don't have the facts to support the intention. So it's like, yeah, we want everyone to be able to have health insurance, even if they don't have, even if they have a preexisting condition, but then they can't look further and see what that does to health insurance. Right. So I, there needs to be some type of balance there. Right now things are out of balance. And so in the interest of getting back into balance, like I, I do want to see people on the right get better at storytelling so that we can have like discussion and come to compromise again. So the right, you just said, I'm not a great story. The right needs storytellers. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm just saying, yeah. personally, I, I could probably improve in that area. But <laughs> I, I guess here's the frustrating thing here. Um. It's, it's public education. I don't want to just throw public education under, yes, I do. I want to throw public education under the bus, but I don't want to keep doing that as a, a trope that I just repeat all the time. Um, but when you don't, so part of teaching people to think is teaching them to connect abstract concepts with, with concretes in reality. So that when someone says people should get pre-existing conditions covered, people should have health care. You should be smart enough and understand the concepts of the word, the words you're using should be tied to reference in reality very concretely. And you should be able to understand that sentence. That sentence to me means someone should be forced against their will to pay for someone else to do this. We should incent, like I see all the connections of incentivizing bad behavior because pre-existing conditions don't count and I like I, I can see the narratives and I, or so I can see all those stories in my head I can see the connection to reality I can see that free means taxing someone else right I can see 
I, I see the gun. I see the gun that the state uses to force people to do stuff. And if you don't have those connections to reality, if you're just using abstract concepts like they're fairy tales and they sound nice or they're magic words from Harry Potter, alohomora, people should have health care. You're living in a fantasy world and you shouldn't fucking vote and you shouldn't even be in the political, like, I don't want to have to use stories to talk to you. I don't want to take, I, your opinion doesn't matter if you need stories. Now it does because we live in a democracy. So I do need stories. I get that. But personally, I don't have respect for people who need stories. If you need stories, you're not thinking. Well, you don't have to have respect for them. I mean, I don't have respect no, for people for I'm all saying we need them. Right, respect is earned, but the but factually, for a person who 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 respects facts and likes to you know look at the facts, the fact is that people do have the right to vote, and people, for, by and large, do make their mind up based on emotion, and they do make their mind up based on a story. So the example Arthur Brooks gives in this book is like when he was put in charge of. Uh, raising money for this nonprofit, right? And and he had, they operated on a budget, I think, of like ten million a year or, or something. And it seemed so daunting to him. And his brother is the one who was like, "Just tell them one story. One story is much greater than ten million dollar, ten million facts, ten million things that you need." Um, yeah. So and and people get that. That's why nonprofits nonprofits lead with stories. They have a picture of the kid whose stomach is swelling. They tell you about the kid. They don't give you stats on, you know. No, I, I don't disagree. But they do, but they give you a personal story. And people use that in more than just, um, he was making the point, it's, you know, we have to, we use that in more than just nonprofits. Um, brands use it. They personalize, they personalize stuff. They, um, they anthropomorphize like the, the, the yeah, products sometimes. Of course, I'm, I'm not arguing we shouldn't use stories. And I agree, we should use stories better. My point is, the, the, there's a more fundamental problem, which is educating people to think. True, I agree. Think. Because yeah. otherwise, the best storyteller always wins. Stories will always be compelling, but people who think are compelled to a, by a story and then dissect it and see if it relates to reality. And if you then, then stories still matter, they still compel people, but stories that aren't tethered to reality, stories that are based on falsehoods are less compelling than stories that are based on truth. Absolutely, that's why I think if you, had a, if you, if you were to tell a story that based on the facts, and that illustrated the facts, then it's then you compare that to a story that doesn't have that's not based on what's going to happen if something passes if a certain policy, then right. then it wins because you've got both you've got the emotion you've got the the hook there the human interest part but it's based on what you're talking about which is being able to think and reason and see oh this is illust this particular one individual story is illustrative of what's going to happen right yeah I don't know I I've. I guess I if I'm storytelling, I would, I would talk about some mechanic who, you know, can't afford braces for his kid or whatever. Like, I, I would probably tell some story about like, hey, this is what will affect him. Yeah. And he'll get a bill and he's not going to be able to pay it. And he's going to have to, you know, forego braces and his, you know, whatever. I like, like I said. I I'm saw a great example of this. This just popped in my head. We, uh, there's a great example of this with, um, you know, all everybody 
who watches our program is probably familiar with the fact that um, that college campuses have become kind of insane and hard yep. and, and, and there's a real clampdown on free expression and free speech and independent thought. And 50, over 50% of college students are say they're afraid to give their opinions on things for risking social, you know, censure. Um, that's a fact, by the way, that's not a story, but anyway, what I, what one uh, story it just popped in my head was, um, somebody did a piece on, and I'll find it and send it to you. Somebody did a piece on this kid who was affected by this, who had to drop out of school. I think it might've been, I think it might've been Pierce because the school went through this entire evolution where it became all about, uh, Black Lives Matter, and then it became infected by SJW ideology, and then the whole campus climate changed. And this, and and but the story focused on this one kid who became the target of a lot of this SJW bullying. And it and it starts off with talking about him and how he's you know he's doing metalworking now. And it's just not that that's you know he's enjoying metal, but it but it's sort of like this is these are the repercussions of what happened. Look at this one kid, and they make it about that kid. Yeah, no, that's brilliant, and I do think we need more of that. And um yeah, having people who pick out, you know, picking out stories of people that the state harms with its expansion, it's pretty easy. There's a lot of actual stories. I don't have to make stuff up, right? You can find people um, and telling those stories. And I think that would be, when we're huge, maybe we'll hire people to go out and find people too. Yeah. Well, Um, it's funny in the chapter about telling stories, he had this quote from, I can't remember who, it was some Catholic uh, leader who said, if you want to find stories, like the way the shepherd needs to, uh, the shepherd needs to smell like the sheep. Yeah. You need to go out. And, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <sighs> well, well, to get back I to like your story, I like your point about stories. I, and, and can I just one quick thing? This is why we can relate it to yesterday's conversation. This is why controlling the narrative is important. This is why controlling legacy media is important. This is why this is why they're freaked out. The legacy media, an example of stories that popped into my head because I was tweeting about Eric Swalwell today, who's a gun-grabbing piece of shit. And one thing the media doesn't do, there are numerous, myriad examples every month of people who use firearms to defend themselves successfully, either just by wielding it and never firing a shot or by actually firing. And none of those stories get covered by the NPRs of the world. Instead, right, they run around and look for David Hoggs, right? So that's, to me, when you said, when you're talking about stories, that's a clear example of there's way more stories about how guns save lives then there are about how there are crazy mass murderers sometimes who go into schools or wherever. But the stories that we hear are only the latter. We never hear the former stories. And that's why the battle against legacy media matters. It's the same thing with the false narratives that they sell us, the stories they tell us about, like, like they're disproportionately focusing on um, the number of uh, black unarmed black men killed by police, which is like, right. Not that many actually. Yeah. It's, it's the number is, is ridiculously small compared to the number of police killed on the job or the number of, uh, 
citizens, the number of people killed, uh, black people killed by black people or, you know, white people killed by white people. Or You're not even, allowed to talk on black on black violence. That's the narrative that we're never allowed to talk about because that's the real problem in the black community in terms of gun violence. Yeah. But so look at the stories they tell us and then those stories shape people's perception of the world. And so you have people walking around now who, it, it, like I just saw this yesterday on social media, who if you, to, if you say to the average person who doesn't get very in-depth with their media and who, who consumes the narrative and believes the narrative, if you say, well, it's actually not an epidemic, there's not like a huge spate of cops killing unarmed right. people in general or black people or white people, like it's just not a huge number they they'll freak out because they've been told a story repeatedly with right. individual faces and they think that's the norm to be clear i am adamantly against the militarization of police that's happened in my lifetime but that's a separate issue well and it isn't it a sad state that we have to even say like i feel the need to be like obviously one unarmed person killed by police is bad yeah I, but yeah. you have to say that now because otherwise people assume that you're just some ogre that's like <laughs> you're pointing out that this isn't the norm you must not care about the six people who were killed yeah i do that's terrible but it's not my point is that you can't base that you can't base it, your your belief about what the world is like on um the anomaly and yeah you know you're you're pointing out something else about stories that stories are what people focus on yeah. so that may not be the biggest is is it bad that cops kill some people yes obviously it, it is bad and that is an issue. Is it the most pressing issue? No, not by a long shot. Not hardly. Right, but, but, it's, but it's the most compelling, it was one of the most compelling narratives. So it becomes the, the priority because, you know, and there's not a lot of stories about, hey, this, you know, $100 trillion of unfunded liabilities is gonna come kill us. Like there's not a lot of great stories about that. I guess they would be set in the future. <laughs> but, you know, there's not a lot of great stories about, hey, you know, uh, we're headed towards communism. Yeah. This, I think somebody, this, I've been thinking for a while, somebody should do an updated version of Brave New World. Hmm. Like that, but that's why. Did you tell the story of what's going to happen in the future, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or we could just study history. Yeah. All right. Well, this was a this was a not as focused as we planned, but semi-focused. It was interesting. And it was a it was yeah. We talk. I think this is enough. We can stop. We don't have to have hour-long shows every day. Goodbye. I'll see you later, Carter. All right. I'll see Take you later, care. Karen. Take care. Nice hat. <laughs> <laughs>